This is a humble man recording. Scano, Sego, Ani, you're listening to the Red Road Podcast with Courtney Skye and Hayden King. Oh, we're recording. Oh, this we're is, recording. Uh, <laughs> we, we haven't done this for a while, so I feel like we're a little bit out of practice here. Uh, yes, we're on. We're, we're back. Welcome back to the Red Road Podcast, season two, post-hiatus. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. Well, welcome back. It's a rainy day on the Red Road today. We're headed into Toronto this morning. Um, gray fall day, which is uh, which is how it should be, because yesterday it was like 39 degrees outside. Yeah, it has, you know, climate change is real. It's happening around us. We are feeling it, and uh, I'm scared. Okay. <laughs> Number one election issue. Um, yes. So, yeah, we're back. We're back. This is... We're in a little bit of a strange place, I suppose, here because um, we, Courtney and I, commute regularly together from Six Nations and Hamilton to Toronto. Uh, and then over the summer, our commuting schedules were a little bit in flux, so we put the podcast on uh, on hold while we uh, while we lived our respective lives, independent <laughs> of work, a little bit. And um, and now it's fall again, so for me. I'm back to school. I'm uh, headed into Ryerson on a on a regular basis and uh, working full time. Not that I don't work full time uh, in the summer, but so I totally expected us to get back in the car together on a regular basis and drive into work and and, and commute together. But I, I guess Courtney had other plans. Yeah, you got other plans so. this summer. What have you been up yeah. to anyway? So I guess the biggest thing that's affected our commuting life is that I went back to school. And back to school. Yeah, so we're I both back in school. Yeah, we're both back in school. I am kind of spontaneously um, decided to apply for um, a language program in my community. So um, I, you know, I'm Mohawk, but I'm no. In, <laughs> I know you can. It's hard to believe are you, that. Are you for real? <laughs> I'm Mohawk. Um, but I'm actually enrolled as a Lower Cayuga person because of Patriarchal Indian Act. I'm enrolled as my paternal grandfather's uh, band. And so my grand, my dad's dad is spoke Cayuga and I grew up speaking Cayuga. And as I have aged and, and worked, I, you know, stopped speaking Cayuga and have had less opportunity to practice and Cayuga is a pretty critically endangered um, indigenous language it um, they did a language kind of study or assessment um, in 2012 and projected that the Cayuga language was going to die by 2022 and so that became a really clear reality to me and so I decided to try to get into some of the language programs in my community and I was accepted into the Bachelor of Ongwahoe Languages at Six Nations Polytechnic to begin um, learning the Cuga language and so that keeps me in the community three days a week and so yeah we're not commuting as much we're because not commuting of that as much, and yeah. I'm uh, back at university I never thought it would happen to be honest I never thought I was gonna go back to school I often like you know, I'm not a big believer in uh, the ivory tower academia, and I've had, many, as we've talked about on the podcast before, like many bad experiences in university. So I've been back in a university program, 
um, getting a Bachelor of Arts degree in, in Cuba language. So, uh, yeah. So you're on the real Red Road. I guess so. The, la yeah. the language revitalization is is, uh, mm -hmm. is torpedoing the Red Road podcast, but you're on the real Red Road here. Yeah, I guess so. And then I got kicked off when I got nominated to run for band council. Whoa. <laughs> So that's also going off on what? Those, the Red Road, isn't it? For uh, colonialism? Oh, <laughs> Indiana Bank Council? <laughs> One uh, of the okay, well, let's back up a second <laughs> okay. here because, uh, yeah. yes, this is not a podcast about... Mm -hmm. Language revitalization, though we yeah. should do one of those in the very near future. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so our podcast has been delayed. Uh, well, we're, our podcast is, is coming back from hiatus. We're going to be posting a bit more infrequently. We'll, uh, we'll see how we can yeah. work out the commute as Courtney uh, is, is uh, learning Cayuga. And um, we'll, we'll sort that out and we'll keep you all posted about when, when the podcast is going to return on a regular basis. But... You just said you were nominated for band council. So I yeah. feel like it's an important conversation, especially given some of the conversations that we've had on this podcast about band councils, yes. that we address this situation. Yes, it's definitely a situation. Oh my gosh. So this week, one of the readings in my program about language revitalization made reference to the Six Nations Band Council and called it a puppet satellite occupation of our community <laughs> so uh, and that was in there's some real tensions document. you're yeah. gonna have to address here yes all right okay so, let's start from start from the top now you yes. so six nations has been uh for the past year undergoing some challenging conversations around governance mm -hmm. uh like one of many first nations in ontario in particular but also across the country moving towards you know developing codes like election codes and membership codes and so six nations now has a new system of governance for the band council anyway uh which moves towards four-year election terms from two-year terms um tightened up maybe some of its uh some of its governance policies in now the first election since those changes have been implemented is upon us mm -hmm. and You've been nominated. I've been nominated, yeah. So um, our listeners and people that will probably be listening to this episode, maybe for the first time, um, will learn that, you know, I am a critic, I think, of colonial structures. And um, when people in my community um, kept mentioning that they would nominate me for a band council, I always just kind of took it as a joke. I didn't think anyone was serious just because of how um, critical and analytical my positions have been. I've never really aspired to uh, public office. And um, I was nominated by Barb General, who is um, Anuraga Beaver, and uh, Brenda Mount Pleasant. And these are two women in our community who are dedicated to justice, to uh, women's rights, um, and I don't think, it means a lot to me that um, Barb and uh, Brenda think so much of me that they would do that because they are, in my mind, very traditional people, and their encouragement has meant a lot. Um, I was nominated, 
and I have decided to accept the nomination. I'm going through the process now Whoa. of accepting the nomination and Courtney, what are you doing? <laughs> I know. And so Okay, so you haven't just been nominated yeah. for council, you've been nominated for chief. For chief, of yeah. The Six Nations elected council. Yes. So I've been nominated as chief. I've decided to yeah, so there's a bit of a process. So one thing that's changed in our election code is that you have to have a high school diploma, which I do have. One of our long-standing counselors actually doesn't have his high school diploma. He was nominated and is not able to pursue his nomination because he does not have um, his GED or mm -hmm. a high school equivalency. Um, one of the other criteria is that you have, cannot have been convicted of an indictable offense or found guilty of an indictable offense for a pardon has not been granted. So I have to go through a police record check process. And so we have until October 11th. No charges? Yeah. I'm surprised too. What kind I, of Indian are you? I know. I, when there was like this thing where uh, after Standing Rock, they were like, um, we didn't surveil Canadians that went to Standing Rock. And I was like, really? Because I skirted a watch list if that happened. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> not important. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have not ever been convicted oh, of indictment. Okay, okay. So you've got to pass. You've got to pass all these hurdles. Yes. So October 11th um, is a deadline, and then after that, if I hand in all my appropriate documents, I'll be declared a candidate. So right now, I'm not an official candidate to be run for chief. So I'm there's still time for you to pull out. Yes, there's still time for me to okay. change my mind. Still time for you to reflect on this <laughs> Welcome wildly to... ridiculous decision. <laughs> Welcome to Hayden trying to convince me <laughs> to save my career and reputation and not run for bank council. Yeah, Louis DeBosky <laughs> once said to me when someone nominated him for uh, council, mm -hmm. he said, what did I ever do to you? <laughs> because it is the most mm -hmm. thankless job. I mean... There is so much to critique about elected councils, mm -hmm. and we've done that on this show, and everybody knows that what that critique is, and I think it's particularly, uh, um, it's it's of particular relevance in Six Nations, where you have these simultaneous forms of governance in operation. Um, but also, it's just a really, really tough job. I mean. Yeah, you're you're torn between you know. Th there's nothing you can do that will uh, please people because you mm -hmm. either are working to uphold this colonial system, um, and if and if you do, even if you do do good work, you're you're still upholding that colonial system. And if you don't do good work, you're stuck by the constraints of the of federal government policies and guidelines. It's just you're in this really really sticky no-win situation i think from for in most contexts in most circumstances so i mean maybe i can maybe 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 you want to talk a little bit about that and how you untangle <laughs> you know you've decided to run for chief you've just you've decided that you're in it to win it you're you're mm -hmm. going to uh try to become the next chief of six nations i think that's pretty bold, you know that's in some ways incredible in other ways very scary uh, but how do you untangle that uh, uh, complexity of of the over overlapping systems of jurisdiction, and some are imbued with colonialism more than others? Yeah, is that something that factored into your decision? Yeah, so for sure, it really factored into my decision. I think um, one of the things that really um, 
really weighed in, in my decision was talking to the people that nominated me because um, I clearly have a way that I conduct myself, that I approach my work, that I approach community work. And so um, that is why um, I was nominated. And so I've kind of decided to take this opportunity to speak about that, about my perspectives, how I, how I do things, how I view things, and essentially leave it up to the community to decide if this is something that they're supportive of or if they're not. Because I, there are so many ways, and I think we've talked about this before, where people have an end goal and a view of like what liberation looks like for them, for our communities, for our people, and along the way, trying to achieve that goal, they make compromises and they make decisions that either they see as, you know, either trying to make that happen sooner or make change or is a way of achieving that. And oftentimes, it's it becomes the things that most people hold against um, uh, leaders or people in positions of power that they've made these decisions that sometimes can align with settler colonialism and actually serve to undermine and, and, do, our and do that to our people. What some of the conversations I've had with my close friends about this, um, you know, Haudenosaunee people, I'm highly concerned. I am a Haudenosaunee person, I'm Mohawk, and I'm incredibly concerned that this means that I'm not going to be welcomed in my longhouse. Um, but at the same time, uh, one of my friends reminded me is that if you're asked to do something like this, that you don't say no. I don't have a good reason to say no. I've been asked to do something by people that I respect, by women that I respect. Um, I don't really have a good reason to say no. They've encouraged me. They'll continue to support me. I have other uh, family and, and community that have said they'll support me through it. So I guess I'm just going to go through the process and see how it ends up. There's this thing of like Haudenosaunee philosophy that like if things are supposed to be, if things are supposed to happen, if things are meant to be in a certain way, then it should be easy. And this is something that has stuck out to me. Um, something that Ellen Gabriel um, talked about when she ran for president of NWAC. And when she ran for uh, president of uh, NWAC and eventually um, succeeded and, and um, stopped her nomination and uh, basically said she wasn't going to run on a ballot again and Francine Joe became the now president of NWAC is that Ellen reflected on this and said that, you know, if something is right and good and something is meant for me, then it would be easy. There would be an ease to it. And so I'm kind of leaning into that ease of the situation where I found myself where like um, I didn't intend for this to happen I didn't ask for it to happen but it is happening so I'm going to accept the path that's kind of set up before me I I've committed I guess and through language I committed to be in my community I know I travel and I kind of like have lived in Ottawa have lived in Sudbury have lived all over the place and so through doing the language program I committed to at least for the foreseeable future being in my community um, for probably the longest time in my adult life and this has is happening so I don't know that and people it'll be up to people to determine if that's a good enough reason to mm -hmm. <laughs> pursue mm -hmm. being elected as chief yeah 
Uh, Alan Gabriel also ran for National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations as well. Um, so obviously it's never black or white as much as we want to talk about the structural conditions of settler colonialism. It, it is never either or. But there are going to be challenges for you and you think about Six Nation leaders um, Bill Montour, maybe going back a few chiefs was probably, or a few terms at least, you know, he talked a big game about the productive relationship between the Six Nations Band Council and the Confederacy, and that never worked out. And then, you know, Ava Hill, who's two-term chief, um, has had during her tenure, more, more than two terms, I think, actually. How many terms? Maybe three. three. Yeah. Um, also, you know, tried to make uh, uh, at least the appearance of, of collaboration with the Confederacy, and in some ways has, mm -hmm. but in other ways it's been pretty frosty. Mm -hmm. So just by the Six Nations Band uh, Council existing, or elected council existing, we know that there are uh, tensions around who has authority in certain areas of life. And I think everybody recognizes that um, there is a role for band-run services on reserve and administration um, and that has to happen and that and that has to happen through the operation staff and through the bureaucracy of Six Nations and there has to be some leadership there. Uh, meanwhile the Confederacy is marginalized and pushed to the boundaries of a lot of Haudenosaunee society at least at least politically and, and you can you're better positioned to speak to this than I am but what do you, how do you imagine um, that relationship looking when you are elected, if you're elected? I think what has become really clear, especially with some of the political turmoil that's like happened at Six Nations uh, recently, is that we really, you know, I think all Indigenous leaders are, should be considering the fact or be consciously aware of the fact that authority, rights, and recognition, it doesn't come from people that hold positions of power or consolidated in a hierarchical structure, but that the people who hold the power are the actual citizens. And so it's the community members and their collective rights that are, that is where authority comes from. And so I really, and it's the same kind of approach that I take when I do policy development or, you know, policy work is that I, I myself know that as an individual or as like one person, my opinion doesn't matter and my ideas cannot be enacted and the things I believe in cannot be enacted if the people around me and the people who are affected by it or implicated in it don't also share the same deep convictions or commitment or belief in the process as I do. And so I don't have kind of like a single magical um, you know, solution to these governance issues that have existed in our community for almost 100 years. You know, the uh, elected council system was imposed in uh, 19, or sorry, yeah, 1924. This term will end, you know, in, nine, right, in right. 2023, and it will be up, you know, 99 years. At, the when the Yeah, so I think that there's, um, I'm committed to having um, this these conversations about jurisdiction happening in our communities because I think that, I definitely believe that, you know, the imposition of elected leadership in communities is an imposition in communities. It is a form of settler colonialism. It's had major negative effects 
in our community it's caused a lot of strife and and schism in our community um and that it was done to disempower hereditary leadership and so i think that moving forward and from where we are now to hopefully where our Haudenosaunee communities will be in the future it will be defined by the community and how we think about us as contemporary people and modern people who you know at least from my perspective govern ourselves with these ancient laws and philosophies how are we de determining and, and committing to each other to live our lives in a way that's distinct from a settler structure and how do how does everyone push back against that and I think that one of the things that I've really come into fo has come into focus for me especially within the language revitalization context is that like we talk a lot about you know liberation or revitalization or things like that and I've never been I've always been an advocate for some of these systems but I've never or services but I've never really been a participant in them this is kind of the first time that I myself have been a, you know, just your average student or program participant. And um, it never really sunk into me that, like, when you learn Indigenous language, like, you really come face to face with, like, who are you talking to? Because you learn a language to communicate, to talk and relate to other people. And the people who speak Gayakono, there's very few. And so the community that's involved with Gayakono speakers is a very small community. It's a very tight-knit community. And in order to use and revitalize our language, we need to do things together. We need to talk. We And if we don't do these things, like a full society, like cooking, like cleaning, like laundry, like, you know, making clothes, then we lose the breadth and depth of our, our language and the words that we would use to communicate with each other. So There's I think a... that's like... That's kind of like what I'm trying to understand. I don't know if running for chief makes sense with you know these big questions that I'm mm -hmm, grappling mm -hmm. with. Well, there's a campaign slogan right there. Mm -hmm. We should do things together. <laughs> yeah. But it's a powerful point, I mm -hmm. think. Now, you it, what you were talking about, you know, you you reference mm -hmm. ancient laws, mm -hmm. uh, how we how we govern ourselves by mm -hmm. ancient laws. I mean. Elected band councils are governed by the Indian Act, um, a handful of federal and, in some cases, provincial mm -hmm. statutes or bylaws. policies, their own local bylaws. Um, how much do you see, say, the Great Law um, playing a role in uh, the governance of the elected council and um, uh, the governance generally of the community if if you were uh, your chief I don't think especially as an elected chief that saying how that happens within the elected system is up to me because there are chiefs and clan mothers and title holders that are responsible for that knowledge they carry that responsibility they they do that work and you know the clan families they are people who do that and so i'm really cognizant of like what that role is i know that there's this kind of that balance between you know the day-to-day -day administration of business that you know elected council is responsible for i really see that as being important i think that uh the chief as being a um figurehead of the bureaucracy is really important um, I think that having someone in that position that speaks out and calls attention to, 
you know, their positionality is really important. And I think there's an opportunity to kind of role model in, in that position of what it means to have, to not try and usurp or push aside collective rights of people that are, you know, the pre-existing uh, nationhoods or, or concepts or legal doctrines of, in, you know, specifically Haudenosaunee people and try and say that elected councils are, are that. Um, but I do know that there are people in our community that don't see themselves as being governed in that way, that, that um, adhere to different religious or social beliefs. And part of the role of the chief is to hear all of those things. I don't know how, what that looks like for me because I spend so much of my time trying to operate within a Haudenosaunee context trying to think about that and I guess the easier most obvious answer is like well if you are trying to do that Courtney then you wouldn't be running for chief um this is the current problem that we are unpacking in this podcast <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well uh, I mean we could grapple with the this mm -hmm. fundamental question for mm -hmm. as long as we're on the red road today but I mean there's a lot of other stuff to talk about mm -hmm. um <clears throat> and you started to I think you alluded to the fact that there are going to be other people that you have to work with mm -hmm. and getting support of mm -hmm. a team, uh, which I assume by that you mean other counselors yeah, around so, the table. And I'm, yeah. and I'm curious because Six Nations has a history of, of um, electing women chiefs, which is not mm -hmm. surprising, I guess, considering the history of the Haudenosaunee um, uh, cultural and political history. But, you know, Roberta Jameson to Ava Hill. Mm -hmm. So maybe... You know, the, it, uh, in contrast to some other communities, there's not that um, hesitance to, to, to nominate a, a young uh, Mohawk woman as, uh, as leader. But a lot of chiefs, <laughs> a lot of chiefs both on the Confederacy side and the elected council side are just old men. I know. Oh my gosh. So... I told one of the young people that, so uh, one of the things that Hayden and I did during the summer was host a policy kind of summer camp with a bunch of like really young radical indigenous people. I was talking to one of the young people that saw my post and they were like, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, I'm running just so I can tell Perry his ideas are dumb to his face. <laughs> so there is that too, right? I think there's like the chief like is, a representative of a community and a representative of a certain you know value system of a community to a certain extent in the sense that like only 600 people voted for Ava in the last election out of like 27,000 band members so you know they certainly represent like a aspect of the community and so I don't know I don't think that I would be able to keep my mouth shut in some of those situations I would definitely I definitely feel myself being more guarded I think I realize what it means to represent all of those people. I try, I've, you know, I've changed my Twitter habits a little bit to, you know, as the gravity of that responsibility kind of like sinks <laughs> in to me. And so I've, but there's, yeah, I, and that's the thing, right? There, there are, there are things in place in the community that I don't necessarily agree with. Maybe I'll end up getting impeached. Maybe I won't be the chief for very long because there's some things that I don't know I don't know how I would rea react to them when I'm faced with those problems because I'm not in that situation right now. I would hope that I, there have been other instances in my life where um, 
holding on to a title or position of authority when it called for me to compromise some of my core values i would rather give up that position of authority than compromise my own personal values and integrity mm-hmm. so i think that that is um what i would likely likely do um so i don't know well yeah, have, knowing you're right. you <laughs> sexism exists in the broader indigenous community yeah uh knowing you personally mm-hmm. and professionally a lot mm-hmm. of your work is around gender issues mm-hmm. um is that something that you would take into your mm-hmm. campaign and ideally yeah. follow through yeah. if you were elected yeah i think that one of the things are some of the and all of the people that i talk to everyone kind of shares like what their top of mind issue is with me And the thing that I've been hearing the most about is um, actually a different area that I've worked in, which is urban issues. Hmm. And a lot of people are concerned about urban membership, about how urban band members of Six Nations are represented. I think it's about 17,000 or just over 50% of the membership live outside of the reserve. And so they're in, you know, Brantford, Hamilton, uh, Fort Erie, you know, Hagersville. They live outside the territory, but they most of them, I imagine, live within the traditional territory mm-hmm. off the reserve. And so that is that is the work experience, I guess, I bring to it. But when I think about like how I analyze and come to understand issues, it definitely comes from an anti-colonial, critical view of what settler colonialism is and what kind of oppression that creates in our community. And it definitely targets and marginalizes trans people, queer people, women, identified people. And I, as you know, believe that empowering women and gender diverse people um, is critical to improving the health and well-being in our communities. And I think that the that is something that I'm deeply committed to. And I don't I see that as my life's work especially um, from a cultural perspective, that being a person who is there to especially be mindful and thinking about young girls, uh, especially like my own nieces, but other young women, um, very deeply committed to that. And so I I would always prioritize that. Um, I'm a little bit concerned that uh, I think one of my weaknesses would be um, more technical um, side of like law and administration and that kind of thing but I don't think that that is um, but at the same time I have all this experience with like policy and all mm-hmm. of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff right so it's not necessarily it's not where I spend most of my time I you know I really try to spend most of my time thinking about safety and valuing queer trans young women sure. etc I don't think anybody expects the uh, elected councillor chief to be experts in all areas of mm-hmm. of uh, life. Although, I guess you do sort of have to be uh, uh, know a lot about or a little about a lot. Um, so you've got the policy uh, experience. You're rooted in in uh, uh, Haudenosaunee philosophy and culture. Uh, what about the political side? We started talking about it a little bit with uh, uh, having to deal with, you know, other male counselors or even national <laughs> chiefs. But 
so much of being a chief is about the the politics, right? And I don't speak from experience, but I I, I, I speak from observation, I guess. And obviously, some chiefs are too political, or you know, they they're just walking, talking slogans. Um, but those relationships are really important, right? The relationships they have to build, and they have to be on good terms with the Minister of Indian Affairs, and uh, you know, do some of the compromise work that you were talking about. And at the end of the day, that's that's politics. Do, do you think that you bring that into the, this role as well? Because that's like that's sort of the grimiest aspect of, of all this. I know, and I think that is. I think I have a very specific experience with it from doing policy because policy development it does have that element of like political negotiation and advocacy to it and I think that's where I would lend myself to because I think that when you talk to people and you advocate on behalf of communities especially the work I've done advocating on ending violence is that when you come from a place that's like based in fact and you're advocating based on fact that like even if you disagree with someone you still are able to maintain a functional working relationship and I think that that's really important I don't believe that you know that every time there's a change in the federal government that all the chiefs need to become members of that party and become boosters for that government in order to um, you know see um, or advocate for liberation for their communities I think that that is something that people lose a lot of sight of, that you somehow need to be friends with everyone that you're working with and that you can't have functional working relationships that are that are business or more business oriented and more clear and that you can have good relationships that are not very close relationships, I think is where I kind of end up in this, on this kind of spectrum of like, you know, I don't know, what is it? Uh, kissing baby, shaking hands kind mm. of thing. I don't think I'm very good at that. I think I'm probably more awkward and you have an irreverent sense of humor. I don't see myself like, um, even talking about it and like the title and all that stuff, It's I'm not comfortable with it. Um, maybe I'll change. Maybe in like a year, we'll, you'll be having an intervention podcast with me. <laughs> be like, Courtney, this has changed you. You're you've become an asshole. That's right. You're no. Yeah. You used to be cool. What happened? As soon as you got power, <laughs> just corrupted. Yes. Um, so, are you going to sling some mud? You're going to sling some mud. Are you going to get political that way? Uh, who else? Who are your? So you've got. We don't know for sure who else is running for chief, but we know that there's been a handful of people yes. who've been nominated. There are three other people that are nominated. Uh, Cynthia Jameson. Um, who is the curator at Woodland Cultural Center. Yeah. In um, interim curator. Yeah. Um, Harv Palace. Who is... He's a community member. He's pretty active um, politically. And, you know, he's um, a guy who's spent a lot of time on Standing Rock, believes in rights, you know, I would say same kind of radical politics that I have. Interesting. Um, and Mark Hill, who's a longtime counselor. Nine years, is it? Something like Something that? Something like that, yeah. Oh, long, long, another young person. Though. Yeah. <clears throat> Not to, you know, <laughs> describe you exclusively as a young person, but relatively young. Yeah. So you're not going to sling some mud. You're not going to. You're not going to take some shots. How are people going to distinguish you from Harv? And you know why? What is it about Mark that you know, he's been in council for a long time? He's been elected a lot. Um, now there's no more districts, are there? No. So there's no districts anymore. 
So um, that means his chances of getting elected are, you know, maybe the same people in those yeah. districts will vote for him, but... Yeah. Well, the, so the way... I guess we have listeners that are not, not intimate with the politics of Six Nations. <laughs> right. But, so the Six Nations community used to be divided up into six districts. And so um, there used to be two councillors elected from each district to form a council of 12. Um, and so... Those, uh, Mark represented the district that I was in, District 6, and whoever the two top um, nominees or vote people getters in those were, those districts would be elected council. Uh, Mark has twice tied another person um, for huh. a number of votes, and twice he's done kind of like tiebreakers and won the tiebreaker to become counselor. Uh, the last election, he received 75 votes. 75? Yeah. 70. 75 people yeah. voted for him, and that's what yeah. got him. Is that common? Yeah, so that was one of the Ooh. more, like, yeah, 75 people um, voted for him. So... I mean, my um, reserve is, like, less than 10% the size of your reserve. Yeah. Wait, that's not true. It is 10%, about 10%. <laughs> 10%? Maybe a little over. Anyway, yeah. and we get more votes than that yeah. for counselor. Yeah, so now they've changed it. There's no more districts. There are just nine at-large councillors. So they are people that represent, you know, all these different um, areas. And they... And so now people that are voting will get to vote for nine councillors as opposed to just people in their districts. I see. Interesting. So they're actually... And this is for chief. I mean, everybody is going to vote for chief. There's yeah. no districts when it comes to chief. So, yeah. but, so, but, so presumably, are, is Cynthia and Harv... I mean, how do you see your relationship with, with, uh, let's assume that they all run for chief mm -hmm. and we have no districts now, not that they matter really when mm -hmm. it comes to elections for chiefs. Do you distinguish yourself from, from, from these folks? I think that like what distinguishes me is that I have a, um, a really distinct perspective when it comes to understanding kind of the current state of affairs when it comes to indigenous or first nations discourse when it comes to unpacking what settler colonialism is and all the stuff i talked about earlier but harv doesn't do the, those um, things um i don't think in the same technical way and and mark is not uh yeah uh, i would say i probably have the strongest policy background of all of them interesting. and i don't think any of the other people who are running have done the legwork around ending violence and relationship with people who have experienced violence and women's issues. I think that is what distinguishes me from the other candidates. And so having this opportunity to participate in discourse and push discourse in our community, I think I really just want to spend my time talking about, um, you know, gender diversity, sexuality, diversity, safety, what does it look like in our community and understanding the distinct history of Six Nations. And what does that mean for all the people that currently have a relationship to the community right because i think that's what kind of unites everyone no matter what their like religious diversity kind of is i think that like people have a relationship to the land and the territory and i think that's a common thing that we all share that's equal and so we need to think about how are we relating to each other now that we have this shared value of place mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a shared history so i think that that is what you know what my platform is kind of like or I perspectives be, coming from and that's going to be a bit different you think than the other folks i think so 
but so, I don't know. I haven't seen their platform. Right, so. right. I mean, it is very early. Mm -hmm. It's quite early. The the candidates have not been officially declared. That we don't know if everyone will be accepting their mm -hmm. their nominations. Uh, but you have thought about your campaign. I mean, you Six Nations is a big community. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like maybe a smaller community where you host a barbecue or, or, or something and yeah. go and knock on the 200 doors that are on the res. It's, this is different, right? This is, yeah. this is different. And I, I don't know if, if this podcast is listened to by maybe some of your competitors, but do you have a plan for how you're going to go out there and yeah. convince people of this message that you're trying to communicate? Yes. So I have some wonderful people that have stepped up to help uh, with my campaign. I don't, I don't think I'm allowed to officially, you know, I'm not an official candidate yet. Um, so everything kind of kicks off once the official candidates have been declared. Um, but I definitely have some close friends who are very skilled and have run campaigns before, um, have participated in elections that are strategizing with me about what my approach will be because it's a very short election um it's really only um a, i think maybe nine days of campaigning before the advanced polls so um very specific plan that's going to be put in place and and doing that i'm taking it very seriously i think one of the things that continually washes over me is the fact that representing twenty-seven thousand people is a huge responsibility and so i don't really see any type of like taking on a, a role as being kind of like a it's I, I, I see it as a privilege I see it as a, a responsibility and I have within me like through people that have mentored me an understanding of the fact that there's a there are very few opportunities where you get to sit back and say um, I've accomplished something that we have so far to go and on the path to you know indigenous liberation that you keep going right it, be, it was really clear to me that like you know when i went to ottawa and was at the um announcement for the findings of the inquiry is that the event happened in the morning and people who had traveled to um ottawa for the ceremony all left in the afternoon for meetings that they they had you know they had a scheduled announcement and then immediately kept working. And I think that is the kind of advocacy school that I have learned in, that I see myself in. And so I, you know, it lends itself to burnout. It lends itself to a lot of, you know, things like that. But um, I really see this as a very specific role to play in a community and not one that's like, authoritative imposing ideas into the community but really how do you set a tone so that other people in the community who have skills and abilities and aspirations that they feel enabled and supported to achieve what they want mm -hmm. so I mean and people will decide if that's something that interests them and they want that for Six Nations and if they do maybe they'll vote for me and there's some people that probably think, you know what, Courtney, you're decent and I like those ideas. I can't bring myself to vote in this election, but I wish you well. And I accept that too and I respect that. Well, uh, this is going to be very... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. This is, uh, is going to be something. 
What do you this think? This is going to be something. You haven't told me what you thought yet. We've been thought talking about, about what? this. Thought about what? What? Do you think it's a good idea that I'm running for chief? No, I think it's a horrible <laughs> idea. Are you kidding me? I think it's the worst idea that anyone can do. It's, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I'm not from Six Nations. I don't... Uh, really? <laughs> you spend more time there than I do. <laughs> um, it's... Yeah, no, it's not really for me to say. It's not really for me to say. But I think that you've obviously communicated your passion and rationale and, um, you know, what you're saying would appeal to me if I was a, was, was a, was a voter at Six Nations, if I voted in band council elections. <laughs> and uh, it's clear you've thought about the complex challenges of working for, you know, the Indian Act system when you have a functioning parallel, you know, quote-unquote authentic governance system. So, you know, obviously we're friends and colleagues and I think that you are very sharp on policy and I think you're probably pretty savvy when it comes to the politics as well and you've got some very complex relationships to navigate in, in that role. Um, so, you know, Good luck. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was expecting you to go harder in this. Uh, you got any more tough questions? Well, I feel like, you know, you were talking about um, when you talked about your nominators. I, mm -hmm. I definitely have some very difficult questions mm -hmm. and I definitely have some very specific mm -hmm. policy questions. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe we'll do another podcast down, down the road. But when you were talking about your nominators and... Um, the importance of, of uh, accepting mm -hmm. those requests, mm -hmm. although now I'm reflecting on the multiple mm -hmm. times I've been elected by, my, or my, nominated by my aunties and encouraged to run and turn them down, now I'm starting to feel guilty about that, but <laughs> you know, you obviously spoke with some passion there mm -hmm. and I could see that you were getting a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit choked up and yeah. I, I, you know, it's... Uh, Maybe once we get into the campaign, I'll interview you again and ask you all those those greedy hard questions. But it's clear that you're still grappling with just the decision of, of deciding yeah. to run or not. So I think that that's, yeah. that's fine for this discussion. And, uh, and maybe yeah. folks will listen to this and it, this is obviously not a mm -hmm. campaign tool. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. it, I, think it, I think it would be helpful for people to hear your, your rationale for, for why you're running anyway. I don't think it gets any better than that. I think that's really kind of like, I mean, I was asked to do something for my community and I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, not that it wouldn't mean that I wouldn't be passionate about it, um, but I, I do agree that it's a very complex, it's a complex thing, it's a very political thing, and I, I think that people might expect that this is something that I've, advocated for myself for or, or pushed or asked someone to nominate me for and that's not the case um all right but, well what yeah. what as we end our mm -hmm. podcast here um what's your campaign slogan gonna be i do not have a campaign come slogan. on you gotta have something sky related I, oh like, my gosh all of them sound so oh. blue skies forever mm -hmm. uh sky chief <laughs> oh, that's so bad. That's like Squamish appropriation right there. Um, uh, uh, so there's the option, there's um, Reach for the Sky. Oh, that's a good one. sounds a little bit like an inappropriate touch. <laughs> please do never, please never touch me. <laughs> um, 
what else? Sky's the limit makes me sound like I'm a barrier. Sky's the limit. Yeah, um, yeah, what yeah. else? That could work though. That um, could work. That could work. Uh, yeah, I haven't thought of a camping slogan yet. Um, I just I like vote for Sky. Gets to the point. Vote for the sky. Vote for sky. Vote for me. Um, yeah. I don't even want to ask people to vote for me. I'm kind of like, if this aligns with what you think you want for the future of the community, for mm -hmm. sure, mm -hmm. then do that. But if mm -hmm. you don't want this or don't feel like you should vote in uh, bank council elections, then I respect that. I, that's where I'm at. There are some people that have told me that, you know, they've never voted before and they're going to vote for me. I, like, very late came to the uh idea or came to the realization that if I vote for myself it would be the first time I voted in a council election. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um wow. So that's uh that's something. That's where I'm at. <laughs> so um But you think reach for the sky? No. Well sky's the limit. Sky's the limit is sort of uh I'm sort of thinking about Sky's the limit here. What are the Little Wayne version or the? <laughs> you can, like add some, add some. Uh, uh, I'm trying to play this song on my Spotify and it's not working. All right, we're gonna have to end in a less fun way because mm -hmm. we're here. You saying election council politics are not fun? <laughs> <laughs> so the advanced polls are November second. Um, the actual election is November 9th. No, no campaigning here. The I'm letting people know they All don't right. have to vote for me, but if they is... choose to vote, this is going to be at Community Hall and Six Nations. And there, there might be online voting. They have not set it up yet. They're not sure. So you have to check the council website. There might be information on, on online voting. All right. You heard it here. Mm -hmm. Courtney Sky for chief. Could you be less enthusiastic? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, bye. bye. You've been listening to the Red Road Podcast, created by Courtney Sky and Hayden King, sound and audio editing by Humble Man Recording. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I've been driving in my Indian car to the pound of the wheels drumming in my brain. My dash is dusty, my plates are expired.